I wonder what your thoughts might be on that. Oh man. Wow. Is that a big one? Get into the fathers of existentialism here. <laughs> Welcome to Creative Insanity. Creative Insanity. Hello, I am Servant, a rap artist and producer from Alberta, Canada, and today I got to speak with the fabulous and fascinating Nicole Wolf. Nicole is an illustrator and fine artist based out of Calgary, Alberta, who has been making a living in her field for over seven years. She's traveled to Syrian refugee camps in Greece and Turkey to live draw portraits. She's been tapped by huge clients for things like character design, mural work, and commercial art. Last year, she generated an art exhibit with collaborating journalist Gavin John called Inside the Fall of Chop, which gained international attention. They documented and spent time with the media-dubbed warlord in Seattle, Washington, the autonomous zone that people like Joe Rogan were trying to get a hold of amidst the controversy. We talk about this project in detail, and it's really freaking neat. We also get into the benefits and challenges of working as artists in Alberta, the importance of having a life outside of art, whether or not you need to sacrifice your art career to have a family, and the big ticket item, what is truth? What is truth in art? Does art manipulate us into a false reality or does it reveal something even truer than life itself? I love this episode, so let's slap into it. Nicole Wolf, welcome to Creative Insanity. Good to be here. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on. You're a very interesting person. And Thank you. a very talented person as well. So you, your title, I guess you'd say is an illustrator, right? Yep, I would call myself an illustrator. Um, by day and then a fine artist by night. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of a bit of a hybrid. Um, right. I studied fine arts in Edmonton for two years at Grant McEwen University. And then I closed out my undergraduate in design, which is the illustrator part. Hmm. So um, one keeps the lights on and the other one keeps my lights on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty I good. I just made that up. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a quotable yeah. right there. Um, yeah, okay. On my website. So you, yeah. <laughs> so you, you've like, you went to school for this and all that, but let's, let's back up a little further first. Cause yeah. just so that people can get to know you a little bit more, hmm. what did you, like, how did you become an illustrator? Like, why did you decide to go to school? Like, where did it start for you? Were you one of those kids who was always drawing, um, in sketchbooks Definitely. or? Absolutely. Um, like, like most children, yeah. I think, I think everybody's an artist until they, get told they're not <laughs> right <laughs> you know I was yeah. like building cereal box mansions on my bedroom floor with you know all of our recyclables and my mom would buy me crayons and really like encourage that so yeah as a kid definitely that was something I was doing and then uh I basically came to the age where you have to decide what you're gonna do because high school is almost done and I was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to just try to be a full-time artist. And uh, I figured I could pay my bills with commercial art and then do my thing on the side. Whether that's uh, recommendable or not is up for debate, but that's well, what I chose to do and I like it. <laughs> that's great. So we'll, we'll get to whether or not you recommend it actually, because I'm curious. But, Jumping ahead here. Okay. <laughs> but, but first of all, you yeah. just sort of decided, screw it. Like who, 
what was supporting you in that direction? Was it really just a kind of momentary lapse in judgment or was it like you had, <laughs> you had people supporting you? It's been you? a lapse in judgment. <laughs> it's uh, lasted for seven years now. Which is incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm probably as insane as <laughs> your podcast gets can be. <laughs> I, okay, well, uh, I just couldn't stomach the idea of really doing anything else. Um, there is no plan B. And I liked the idea of working for myself. I, I liked the idea of being very flexible. Um, there's this um, back burner dream to be a digital nomad, whether that's, you know, just bumming around Canada or internationally. And I've acted on it a few times, um, just picked up everything and traveled and hmm. worked from Wi-Fi spot to Wi-Fi spot and, you know, cross borders in the daytime, <laughs> done my work at night. It's been really fun. Oh man. It's That's like crazy. a spice of life. And you know, um, that you can't like, you can't, uh, can't put a price on that. Can't put a price on freedom. So, so you're doing it. So it's, it was like, yeah. High school, you thought freedom, good, doing yeah. art, good, and but you thought you could do it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, and you're doing it. It's just like I had a different experience uh, when I was in high school. I thought freedom, good. I thought, you know, art, music, whatever it was, good for me. Mm -hmm. But I never thought I could do it, at least not at that time. It was never like, a, man, you can make money doing this. It just seemed like an impossibility, kind of. Well, maybe I should maybe I should explain a little bit. It's not like I had complete confidence right. that I could absolutely do this. Like, uh, you kind of have this feral gleam in your eye after, <laughs> you know, <laughs> graduating school, and you're like, oh, I hope I don't starve, you know. And yeah. um, fortunately, I haven't yet. Um, but I, I think, like, the gleam... Uh, maybe only went away like three years ago. So it's been a slow build, hmm. you know, and that's not to say I was living paycheck to paycheck. It's just until you feel like you could weather a, a yeah. catastrophe, you know, like you have, you have that, uh, that screaming voice, like, Hey, <laughs> but what if something happened? I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'm okay now. I think I'm okay. So the whole like feeling like you're not making enough money thought is gone. Uh, as of three years ago. So it, it's been a while. It's been a mm. while of building. And then the other explanation would be um, through junior high, through high school, actually through both of my undergraduate streams, I was freelancing the whole time. Oh. I was actually paying for my degrees with freelancing, which is kind of ironic considering that's why I went to school was to learn how to right. make money off the part. But um there was always a part-time lurking in the background. Um, and then after I graduated, I kind of went full-time. So, um, there, it was a soft entry in that way. Yeah. But that's also like really hardcore. That's like the artist's lifestyle Thanks. that a lot of people I think dream of, you know, whatever their, yeah. whatever their discipline is. I think you had a lot of really important ingredients there that, uh, like you said, you you know, you had that feral look in your eye and you were <laughs> concerned you were gonna starve at times and, and you know there's there is there is that, but you still managed to take the ingredients you had and make it work. And I think that that is 
just incredible in and of itself. Like, that's really cool. What is success? Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, I owe so much to the people who encourage me around me. Like, uh, I had a few like naysayers, but honestly, I had so much support from my immediate family and, uh, you know, uh, there was, there were people who showed me the way, you know, um, my dad was a freelancer. So oh, right I on. had that, that big advantage, right. Um, of seeing that, Oh, Hey, this is possible. Um, he was in a very different career world than me, uh, and still is, but you know, you just kind of, you figure out that it's an option and I don't know, hopefully hopefully people in Alberta can kind of see like that's an option for them to do. I think we're in a really prime place in the world to have a side hustle, you know? Yeah. We so, have work ethic here. That's what I I've always learned. encourage people to try it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. A, it's really, yeah, it's, it, it is encouraging to see. I think that was something that I lacked too, is I didn't have an example. I didn't really mm-hmm. look around my peers or role models and see somebody doing it. I mean, I know that there was people who were in bands and stuff like that, and there was artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a really good buddy go off to film school, and it seemed like he was headed on a right path. And now he does a lot of freelancing, and he works in production and stuff. And actually, actually, I've collaborated with him. He helped me out on a couple of my earliest music videos. He was one of my first like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue, you know, making my own music videos. And can you please help me, dear God? He was that guy that I went to. <laughs> And, and so it turned like there was some people who kind of came from my community that I learned, learned from. Yeah. But I, I honestly think that that's like you so important, you know, yeah. you can have your like art stars, um, you know, profs in school. They're so fancy, you know, but it's, it's when somebody from your own small town does it or someone from yeah. your province or someone in your age group or your demographic and they go do it. And you're like, I could do it, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm still here. I'm still in Alberta, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Even that's crazy. Cause there's a lot of perception. That's crazy. of Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of artists, uh, in various fields, well, number one, they go to cities. So that, that's mm-hmm. the thing. And often they don't, you know, they go to Vancouver or Toronto, right? Yeah. Vancouver or Toronto. That's what they do basically. Um, a lot of my friends, from art school or just the periphery mm. crowd are, are now in Vancouver or Toronto or LA or Florida right. or California or, you know, Dubai. And yeah, I mean, but what do you love the about thought is cross your mind. Oh, go ahead. Did I cut you off? Is that what you're going to ask? <laughs> well, I was going to say like, what do you love about Calgary? Like I understand, I, I wouldn't blame you for the thought crossing your mind to be like, wow, mm-hmm. Calgary for all that it's, it has to offer. And I, and I understand it has quite a vibrant artistic community, at least com- compared to a lot of places that I've been. Hmm. But where do you think keeps you there? Like, what do you love about it? What's good about Calgary? Hmm. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can give you the answer if this was brought by a Calgary arts development. <laughs> 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 you know? like we have a lot to celebrate this land there's <laughs> That's funny. The mountains and it's a vibrant and budding community this is a place where the entrepreneurial spirit is strong and um 
You Pragmatically, like, yeah, I know that whole voice too. Pragmatically, rent is cheap compared to right. Vancouver. Oh my gosh, that's part like um, mm. part of my decisions. Like, get rid of that primal scream in the back of my head <laughs> that's like, "You're gonna die at any moment." The tiger of poverty is gonna come and rip out your jugular, and that is silenced to some degree by paying very cheap rent. Right. Um, that's awesome. Uh, also proximity to family. That's nice. Uh, my whole family is still in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, my clientele is here. So I stay here and make the drive. Um, that's a reason, but you know, jokes aside, um, it's Calgary really is, you know, it's, it's big enough that, that I have enough opportunities keep, to keep me more than busy. Right. And it's small enough that if I want to do something in the city, it's not already glutted with artists. It's, mm. it's de- there's definitely more artists here than Edmonton, which yep. is cool for community and proses some challenges if you're uh, coming fresh out of AU Arts, formerly right. ACAD, you know, the Alberta University for the Arts, or the UFC and, and you're looking for jobs and you're competing with people who are in the city for almost a decade like me right. and we're all going for the same jobs. Like, um, it's just part of, it's part of living here that, uh, if, if I don't win a job or if I don't get chosen for something, I usually know who it was. And, you know, you got to learn to be like, good job and hope that they can applaud <laughs> you too. And you get the thing that they wanted, you know, it's, it's give and take and we, uh, we take turns. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, big enough that there's opportunity, but small enough that you know, everybody who's hustling for it. So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool and, and, and unique, right? Like, because I, I'm starting to make friends in some of these bigger cities and like LA is one of them. And I've noticed the culture is very different in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, it's like in terms of having examples, people thinking they can do it. There's a lot of people there who think they can do it because there's a lot of examples of people doing it. Um, yeah. And there's a kind of normalcy to it there where for me, I have not found exactly normalcy being in a small town of artists pursuing their discipline full time. Mm-hmm. But there are people who do shine through now and again. And the other thing too is there is, okay, like art isn't everything, right? Like to us, it kind of is most things because, you know, our our work is creative work, right? And our passion is creative work and it's how we spend a lot of time and we have creative friends. And so like our world's, our word, the, the, the Venn diagram of our world has a large chunk that is creative. But in real life, like most people, the Venn diagram looks a lot different. Mm -hmm. Creativity doesn't have that kind of sway. And I think when your life is more family, more work, more doing, I don't know, normal things, it can inform your art, even if it's a smaller chunk, differently. So like a there's such a thing as like farmer poetry, for instance. And it's like, those farmers don't make a living doing it, but, but they love doing it. And it's something that I just, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's there. 
Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're in we're in the home of uh, cowboy poetry, right? Calgary and right, Alberta yeah, and at, at large, you know, there's a lot of cowboys and cows and poetry and <laughs> cows and boys. You know, uh, I mean, you can you can take all the art degrees, and if you're a boring person, your art's gonna suck. Oh, right? I love that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hate that I love that. I mean, that it's probably true of me more than I'd like to admit. I'm still very young. I, I haven't seen much of the world. I'm not like I'm still just thirty. You know, I haven't. Hey, we're the same I'm, age. Hey, wow. Yeah. Why did you think I was older or younger? I mean, I was just gonna say I'm not married or have kids. So there's a part <laughs> of me that's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I started early though. I was like. I don't Good know. for you. It was a different. Okay, okay but but let me yeah. finish that thought. Okay, please, please do. So yeah. so um, there are a lot of people who are just not interesting people until they've lived some life, they've had some kids, they've right. traveled some places, they've seen some hardships, and they've actually got uh, something to offer the world. You know, like some some treasure maps to where some actual treasure is. When you're young and you don't know anything, you're kind of like. I can draw pretty pictures and I don't know. I mean, I, this is not true of everyone. I'm just like, I say these things to comfort myself that the older and wrinklier I get, the more interesting I will be and the better my art will be, yeah. you know? I okay. think that's true. No, I think that's, I think that's very true. And like my trajectory has been different where I didn't start taking things seriously until I was 25. Um, you know, I always did art, uh, I made music and it was like a thing. But I didn't take it seriously until then. And at that point, I had just, my, my first daughter, she was almost a year old. Mm -hmm. And I was going in for my 25th birthday. My mom gave me like 100 bucks because she's awesome. And I used that for getting Ableton Live, uh, the intro program. Mm -hmm. And then I made some demos and it kind of, you know, it got bigger and bigger mm -hmm. from there. But I, at that point, you know, I had certainly more life experience than 18-year-old me. And 18-year-old mm -hmm. me was desperately dull, you know, like not, <laughs> not uninteresting, but, but, um, not interesting for the right reasons. I'd say, you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like you're, you're inherently still worth something cause you're human, yeah. but you know, you, um, you don't have hard one wisdom yet, you know, yes. like you, you, um, oh man, it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, you can't show your homework for how you've arrived at your solutions. Maybe you were lucky and you had some mentors speak into your life and you actually like know some things that are true, but you can't show people how you got there necessarily. Like, yeah. Um, you know, cause like there's nothing like thinking, you know, something going out in the world and it clobbering you to death and you almost letting go of that thing. And then you find that thing again. And you're like, this thing is really important that I believe or that I do. And then you keep it. And then it's yours. And yeah. then someone's like, why do you believe that? And you're like, here's my homework. This <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> this I love that. It still makes sense to me. And I have won the possession of this thing. <laughs> it's very true. And that's what I find too, is that my, as the older I get, you know, the older my children get, like yeah. it's a, it's a tough hustle for me, you know, because I, I have a lot of single friends who don't have kids who maybe it seems to me they have a lot more free time with which to dive into their work. But I've also learned perspective. And that is the the less free time I have, 
the more valuable it is. Yeah. Right? And the more valuable it is, the better I spend it. And that was the kind of natural consequence that I didn't really understand until I was doing it, until I was kind of in the zone. You look mm-hmm. around and you're like, man, I've got, I've got an hour today. You know, I've got an hour and a half today. If I watch fucking Netflix for that <laughs> hour and a half, I will feel that's better. That's I'll be happier. My life will be, you know, uh, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, not takeable, but anyway, I, I can I can take my life, but I'm not doing the thing that I want to do, really. And if I don't use that hour and a half, and the next day I have an hour, and I don't use that, and I don't use that, it's like a week goes by really fast. And so I think that I just learned to use these pockets of free time in a way that I never, ever would have if I didn't have kids, if I didn't have mm-hmm. A full-time job if I didn't have a wife that I had to keep happy yeah. if I didn't have all these things I would have never for me at least never understood the hustle in the way that I needed that kind of uh I needed that heat to kind of you know turn me into a diamond because I'm clearly a diamond I'm just I don't know mm. <laughs> As if, yeah but, I like that I, and you echo uh what my married uh friends with children who are full-time creatives, uh, say as well, mm. because there was a really long time when I was like, I can have an art career or I can have a family. Right. Pick one. And a lot of my peers feel that way and have chosen art and, you know, like life just challenges you on some of those convictions. And so I started, you know, finding people who are actually making, wonderful work and being incredible mothers and right. fathers, particularly mothers, because we know that, that women invest a lot in, of energy yeah. into offspring, right? So the question yeah. was not like, could you have children and do art? It's like, can I, as a, as a woman do yeah. it? Um, you know, and these women inspired me so much. Uh, they completely changed my mind. I like went from like, yep, I'm not interested to like, I want kids because I talked to them and they said the exact same thing that you did. They were like, I wasted so much time when all my time was mine. And then now like my children actually inspire my practice. Um, They have made me a better, more interesting, more well-rounded person. They've made me a lot more focused and I know exactly what I'm about. Like, you know, a human comes out of your body. Like, (laughs) you know what you're about. Like, (laughs) you know, Um, it made sense. Um, you know, never tried it, but I, I have hope now, I guess, because, because of those women. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that. Like I got three daughters too. Right. And these are, I mean, they're quite young, but Mm -hmm. I'm already like thinking of scenarios, but I, I, in my case, I was told by my parents and particularly my dad, when I was like 18 or 19 or something, he got married when he was like 20. He just turned 20. My mom was Mm -hmm. 18. And they've been married for like 40 years. I don't know, a long time. Uh, they, they're doing really well, Not, mm-hmm. but they grew up together, right? Like, anyway, he just said like, life happens. He said, don't say no to life. Just mm-hmm. let life happen and then do all the other stuff you wanna do around it. And he, he had that kind of simple advice. And because I had the example of my dad and my mom, my dad was a tradesperson. Um, mm-hmm. 
my mom, she worked as a lab tech, but she's very, very artsy as well. And my dad has a real creative side. I always saw them working on hobbies and stuff. Like they always had something going on. My dad might be renovations. My mom might be painting, but they always had stuff that they were doing. They weren't sit there and watch TV all the time kind of people. And so I guess I believed his advice. It was like, yeah, hmm. well, you had four kids, you had four boys, and you've managed to do stuff that you like, and yep. you seem like okay. You know, like it was, it was a kind of yeah. And that circles around very nicely back to, you know, you don't know it's possible until you see it modeled for you, right? Exactly. Or, or, um, you don't see it as sane behavior unless. The group of people around you confirms that it's sane. Because to some of my friends, having children right now would be the most insane thing that they could do. Yeah. They don't have a grid for it. I have some friends like that too. And I mean, I'm not willing to say that in every single case, unilaterally, everyone ought to become parents. But I I understand. No. No. Some people just aren't made for it. No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) But, there's some people who should not be parents. <laughs> but there's some people who are afraid of it who shouldn't be. Well, they should They should take that fear and confront mm. it. You know what I mean? Like they shouldn't make them run in the opposite direction because yeah. I think that you do find that responsibility is a good – like the the cauldron of hard work and responsibility, you get so much more out of it even beyond mm. your understanding at the time. That's what you want. You want that purpose in life because it does clarify things, you know, and -hmm. it's just sad to me as well. Like it's, it's an unfortunate sort of way. Like I'm a dude, so I don't have the same kind of like biological clock that a Mm -hmm. lot of young women have. Like they have a struggle with, um, guys can kind of be older. It's like, they have to be convinced more to, I don't know, engage in responsibility at a certain mm. point, but mm. women, it's like, they also have a higher biological time bomb that mm. is a pressure cooker for them to kind of consider their responsibility in life. It's like intrinsically, if they want to have kids, they know that, well, you know, there's a kind of range that's ideal for having kids. And I, I just, I don't have that pressure. I'm not trying to ramble on about it but it just it does seem hard you know and i, I just it, personally know yeah, women I mean, like if you want to have your your own biological children that's okay Whoop. this is a low-key podcast we can keep that <laughs> <laughs> i mean if yeah i mean if you want to have your own biological children you have a very limited window definitely um or you can adopt or work right? for google and get your eggs frozen which <laughs> if you're not in the arts i recommend Really? Yeah, this is true. I don't know what they're doing with the eggs anyway. (laughs) But it's it's a it's an interesting thing that you you bring up because I don't know. You've you sought out these people, like you sought out women who had who were mothers and stuff, or like did you just come across them? Not like I put an ad in the paper, but. Because I, I, assume, I assumed you did put an ad in the paper, so right. I'm glad you clarified. Just Are you for me. creative? <laughs> and do you also have children? <laughs> do you not hate your life? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was very lucky to have them all around me. And I was like 
seeing these women, they were just like killing it. And I just asked them questions. And then I started doing my own research. I was looking on the internet. Um, there was a documentary, I forget which platform it aired on. It was only a 2019 release. And it was the artist as mother. And did you know that um, the major galleries have never done a piece about uh, childbirth from a woman's perspective? Like every topic, there's nothing taboo except that. So why is that? So this whole, like this documentary mm. started like questioning that. And it was like, well, maybe a lot of that has to do with societal um, perceptions of motherhood and also the artist. Uh, we kind of like our artists suffering um, completely dedicated to their craft, not really feeding themselves right. You know, like their, their work is born out of angst. Like mm. um, that's a whole separate conversation. Why do we like to see people suffering when they're creative? Is it because uh, we're miserable in our well-paying jobs? I said it anyway, but um, <laughs> And then also like, like a mother is also supposed to be someone who is like completely her world centers around her children. So you have two obsessive persons who are wrapped up in this one thing. And how could that possibly reconcile was a theory put mm. forward in the documentary. Um, and that one made me think a bit because I was like, well, obviously humans are creative. That's what we do. That's something that distinguishes us from animals is we we make stuff for the betterment of each other for each other's enjoyment um and i guess there are some animals who do that for like mating or like for other rewards but some of us just do it for like self-betterment and that, that's like you know if you're looking for the same level of artistic you know action inside animals it's it's just not there no and no. you know so okay we have that that part that's part of being human therefore i say like you know all humans going back to you know every kid's an artist till they're told they're not right? Um, we have that. And then we also have this need to, to uh, replicate ourselves in the world, whether that's biologically or to pass on a legacy. So then humans are very important too. And um, creating, creating more of them. Yeah. <laughs> Passing down the stuff that you've won and like allowing that to continue beyond your death in someone else, you know, that that's considered a very worthwhile life goal. So then if both of these are what it means to be human, then why have we made them like mutually exclusive fields? I think that's a false dichotomy. Can't we do both? I agree. I and think they can even cross pollinate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's a false dichotomy in the extreme. I think you even see it with fatherhood to a much less degree, but you do see it where if I bring up in certain circles like that I'm a dad, for instance, there's a kind of mm. reinterpretation of status that happens real quick because mm -hmm. if you're a dad like in your 30 and you've got like three kids people will be like well like how serious are you about what you're doing like there's just something in that interesting and I, i've i've felt that but like i said i really suspect it's to a much minor degree because i mean i have friends in like la for instance who i've talked to who will consciously say like yeah like i don't want to have kids yet just because of the art thing and it kind of breaks my heart, you know, it's like, man, if you were my kid, like that would break, mm -hmm. that would just break my heart because life is good. Life is good. And good plus good is better than just like good. And, you know, like suffering artists, why do we, you know, it's a good question. Like, why do you think we exalt 
the suffering artist. I think that's right on topic for my podcast because this insanity is not what I'm in favor of. I want us to be sane. That's what I want for myself. It's what I want for other artists. And it seems like not everyone's on the same page. Like we really do just want, but what do you, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm thinking about that. Um, I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be what I mentioned before, which is, mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to see people getting away with having too much fun, <laughs> right. but I don't want to like, I don't want to say, I don't want to reduce it to just like mm. people are jealous. I don't think that's all of it. Cause we put this on ourselves to some degree too, I think. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. Well, we wear busy, yeah. busy is like, you know, that's a status symbol if for, for all across yes. the whole, everything. It's like, if I'm, if I'm busy, then I'm important. So mm -hmm. people say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy all the I time. I mean, another thing, okay, I'm, this is off the top of my head. Go so I was, you know, uh, this is untested theory that I thought up right now. <laughs> but I mean, if you think back to the fathers, uh, ooh, the fathers of modern impressionism, um, they are pretty, they're a pretty uh, miserable lot, <laughs> um, you know, they, they, there was, but there was this allure about them that they were on the fringes of society. They saw things different than everyone else. Never mind that uh, a lot of them were pretty well off and could definitely afford to reinvent painting on their free time. You know, I'm thinking Surratt, Monet, uh, Van Gogh was not so affluent, right. but a lot of these folks were very marginalized, and um, that was sort of the persona of an artist. And that's that's a thing that I've um noticed is uh people are not just interested in my work um and I, I think other artists would agree with this as well they're also interested in you as an artist like you are yeah. the product yes right? especially nowadays you I are the product and um <laughs> uh i don't know is it is it savage to say that uh people who are happy and well adjusted aren't as interesting as people who are suffering. I don't know. See, and I, I wonder can... if that, see, that makes me think, I don't think it's that savage to say. It's a good question because that makes me think of like earned wisdom, right? Like, mm. uh, who said that something about like, beware of wisdom. That is wisdom. You did not earn wisdom. You did not earn. I forget yeah. who said that too. <laughs> I'm going to say Nietzsche just because <laughs> somebody said it. Anyway, well, I'll look it up. Uh, basically, the fact of what we had said before when we were young about how we didn't have experience, we hadn't been through like the trials in life. Mm. Maybe there's the false association is like we think that if you're going through trials, you're like on route to wisdom. And the being on route to wisdom yeah. is like an interesting thing as opposed to having, say, arrived at some wisdom. Mm. Um, here's another theory. I think there's maybe a level of spectacle to an artist who is, uh, has a crazy life, if you will. Mm. Um, I was reading about, uh, the Bohemian, uh, movement back in like the, like the beat, the beat culture, the beatnik, um, the anti-establishmentism. Establishmentarianism, yeah, and like kind of how people were romanticized for being um, 
you know, dreamers, dropouts. Um, this is like pre-60s, uh, like the, the life of the Romani in the traveling nomadic, nomadic in your relationships and your place of location and your interests was kind of like seen as this like this allure yeah maybe spectacle like you're saying where i mean drama is interesting yeah because like listen to how people talk about artists like who like freddie mercury or um elton john like they're the, the movies about them just came out right yeah and like i noticed how both of them really go into how crazy their lives were at points like how do you even not have a life that's crazy at that point with that much money and that much influence and like people are all over you and that's like I don't know there's this um we want to see people trying things uh that we are too afraid to try perhaps because we know that it'll unravel our safe and predictable lives maybe we push artists toward um, instability and, you know, I don't know those two, those two balances, chaos and order, right. Yeah. You know, uh, a non-artist is, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the stereotype They're They're ordered. They, they're an accountant, perhaps they wear yeah. taupe on beige, you know, they live in a little <laughs> gray house in a box and all the boxes are all the same. Um, they're doctors, lawyers. Okay. That's the song anyway, but like <laughs> artists, you know, they wear crazy colors and they stay up weird hours of the night and they got bad haircuts and they have weird relationship dynamics and compared to normal society. And, you know, um, I don't know. There's some, and blow. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some vicarious living and there's also some that. spectacle. There's some drama and mm. there's novelty, right? And like, mm. I think that, okay, so this... Uh, it kind of ties me into something I wanted to ask you about, which was we talked about nomadic and traveling and you said that you picked up a couple of times and did that. Yeah, and there, sure did. yeah. And there was something that I did want to talk to you about, which was there yeah. was a recent interesting political event that happened with uh, <laughs> the fun of 2020 in the States uh, in Seattle, right? Where right. it was called Chaz, where they set up a zone. Um, if anyone it knows what I'm talking about where it was like, I don't know, no, you know more about, about it than I do, but why don't you tell me a bit about that and sure. why you traveled there and what that turned into? Yeah. Okay. That was a good example of inviting chaos into my otherwise <laughs> ordered life. Um, okay. So according to the media, what happened was following the death of George Floyd, uh, the BLM protests that broke out all over the states um, in Seattle took a unique shape. Uh, the media said protesters had taken over a six block uh, portion of Capitol Hill, barricaded off, run the local police precinct, the cop shop out of the area and taking it over as their own. And they had elected a warlord named Raz Simone who was arming the protesters and they had declared themselves an autonomous zone separate from America. So uh, myself and a group of friends were following this. One of my friends is a conflict journalist. Um, uh, his name is uh, Gavin John and he had cut his teeth in North Korea and Iraq and um, I also kind of had 
worked in conflict zones before as well, doing storytelling in art, uh, Turkey during the coup in 2016, and uh, doing portraits and recording stories from a Syrian refugee camp in Greece. So we kind of looked at each other and we were like, Let's this do is something. the closest thing <laughs> we have to a conflict zone on this side of the pond. Do you want to go? And, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> we bought a plane ticket uh, to Vancouver because we were like, man, if, if they don't let us go, you know, cause the border's closed. Right. Right. They don't let us go. At least we can fly back to Alberta. It's not like, you know, there was, it wasn't possible to make a land crossing. And, uh, for whatever reason, uh, <laughs> we told them exactly what we were doing. They let us in and we were like, we were the only persons to be admitted into the state since the start of COVID. Uh, this was July. Wow. Um, on the purposes of journalism and that, you know, excludes all the networks to our <laughs> knowledge. Why, why did they let two nerdy kids with backpacks <laughs> in being like, we want to draw the protesters. So, uh, we were super stoked. We got in and, um, we got an Airbnb, like, uh, a block away. <laughs> um, we, walked in and just, we entered, we interviewed protesters, uh, police officers, residents. We did meet Raz Simone. We ended up hanging out and, um, we spent like days with him for some reason. He took a shining to the Canadians who came to America to talk to the warlord. And we found <laughs> him to not be a warlord of definitely not the way, not your the typical warlord. Trade him more of a poet and um, a rapper. Like yeah. I, I think you looked into probably his stuff by now. But um, yeah, um, someone who wanted to see change, but definitely, definitely not, um, not a man of war. Yeah, uh, that the media had portrayed him to be. So we spent two weeks there. Uh, we were fortunate to be around for the police retaking chop or Chaz. Yeah. And, uh, we were able to talk to, uh, a lot of the people involved in that and afterward, and we kind of hung around and, you know, uh, then hung out with the leaders of chop, uh, who were, you know, the periphery of Raz Simone and, uh, catch their, their afterthoughts on it. You know, what, what did this mean? Uh, yeah. did the revolution fail? <laughs> what was the revolution? What, like, um, what are you doing now? <laughs> so, you gotta go to work? <laughs> uh, we, we took our Gavin's photographs and reporting my, uh, storytelling and portraits and we brought them back to Calgary and, um, it, uh, it was, it was in the exposure fest. It was, uh, in Chinook blast. It, it's installed inside arts commons right now. It's installed outside on Stephen Ave in front of city hall in front of arts commons in kiosks. If anyone wants to go see it, I think it's up for just a few more days, but, um, it, it takes people through the sights and awesome. sounds of Chop and Chaz. So yeah, that, there we go. How's that for a nutshell? Yeah. <laughs> that well, that's, that, no, it's it's, it sounds mm -hmm. like a real experience for one and mm -hmm. for you to kind of see up hand uh, up close what the media is seeing but also understanding uh, it different on the ground level versus how they're reporting it probably was Definitely. an interesting experience 
Like, did you learn anything about how people can be manipulated or anything oh, like that? Oh my goodness, so much. Um, where do I start? Uh, I used to think something happened and the media reported on it. That's not true. Um, something starts to happen. The media says something about it and it changes what's happening as it's happening. And it becomes something different because of the media in many, many cases, at least most of the ones that I've experienced. In this case, uh, we managed to find the source of who first called Raz a warlord, um, who first called it Chaz, because apparently it wasn't the protesters, according to them, hmm. um, who first called it an autonomous zone. Apparently it was a Tucker Carlson. Um, oh, Tucker Carlson, hey? On, yeah, on a Fox. Fox. And yeah. So I was like, yeah, he's, uh, you know, and we know recently uh, Fox lawyers, Fox News lawyers have um, said you literally cannot believe, <laughs> you know, what he says as literal uh, facts because uh, that was, he was brought up in a ruling and they're like, well, you know, it should be understood that yeah, he's entertaining truth. And he's an entertainer. I'm like, well, you shouldn't call it reporting. But anyway, yeah. um, you know, so. Yeah, he, he termed Raz a warlord first, and it was interesting. Uh, Raz sort of adopted this title. See, <laughs> that's like, that interesting, funny. right? Like, yeah. That, that was interesting, right? But first, uh, it was like a farce. So he was like, hey, Nicole, you do design, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, let's make t-shirts, not my warlord. Or like, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went to Chaz and I only got was a shirt. And like, we straight up designed t-shirts. I don't think we ever sold any, but like, I was like, <laughs> sure, why not? You know, we're hanging out and collecting stories. I'm going to make you some t-shirts. So, um, yeah, they, they leaned into it. And then pretty soon, you know, after they called Chop Chaz an, an autonomous zone, signs began popping up, you know, welcome to Chaz. This is Chaz, you know, so people right. started owning it and being like, yeah, we're autonomous. So it was, it was interesting stuff. I mean, um, does any, know, like as an artist, I, as a storyteller, it's almost like I could look at that and say, that is stories you know, thrust upon real life, influencing real life. And that's kind of what most stories do, but not in such an overt way, right? Like a great story as a storyteller, uh, a good movie or something like that. You can impact someone, you can teach a lesson, you can get some general thing, general thing from it that you can apply to your life and, and it's great. But in the case of like, in this, this is like changing a narrative of reality telling a different mm -hmm. story about what's actually happening and mm -hmm. then having that impact people on a mass scale. That's scary to people me. That's just frightening. That information, you know, um, mm. we are in a complete breakdown of shared truth, uh, to borrow a line from Sam Harris on one of his many podcast episodes, you know, like, uh, we are in the shattered prism of a shared reality and we're all trapped, trapped in a separate shard. It's like, uh, <laughs> we can't agree on what we know. Um, we are in a full out information war and, um, yeah, we don't know the truth at, at all. We don't know what's happening. So that's interesting. Scary is all hell. But scary. It is scary. Very scary. I know that like for the news and stuff, um, I, I was dialed into the politics, I mean, around the election stuff, because there's something entertaining and visceral, visceral mm -hmm. about it. But man, I withdraw real fast. I, I like to spend more time with the intellectuals and, and mm -hmm. stuff. But, but 
as an artist, what do you do with that? Like that information you have, you can see the manipulation. You can see the power, I guess, of story. How does that influence you as a storyteller, illustrator, and visual artist? Mm. Like, does it work its way into your, like, do you know, like, if I'm doing something in this way, my goal is to manipulate or I say that as a, in a positive sense, like, am I trying to help someone feel something? Like, what, what sure. is, throwing, um, throwing a bit at you here, throw a bit of stuff yeah, at the wall. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, in the context of CHOP, that project, um, I was very lucky to have a friend who has studied journalistic ethics, and we talked a lot about, you know, are we here to write our own story? Do we have an idea of what's happening here? Do we sympathize with the protesters? Do we sympathize with the cops? Neither. We are here to interview both right. parties, and we are not here to take an opinion. We are going to present the interviews that we find with equal hands, and we're going to let the public make up their own minds. So um, that's what we did. We we weren't allowing persons to necessarily share their platform. So right. like, but we were asking people what were their thoughts as an individual? What led them to the beliefs that they had? What led them to Chaz? What led them to CHOP? What led them into uniform as a police officer in Seattle? And, um, you know, that I think is something that we don't have um, and something we don't know how to handle because in the in like the the weeks following uh, Gavin and I installing that as an art exhibit, uh, we were both called Antifa by uh, oh, public persons in Calgary, and we were called like pro cop people, which is interesting. Like people looked at the same work and had different ideas. I'm not going to confirm or deny either side. Right. I'm just like saying it's interesting that people got really upset about it. It was like vandalized a few times. People tore it down. Wow. I had I had uh, friends who were police officers be really upset with me for doing that um, misunderstanding mm. uh, where I stood on, you know, <laughs> stood where I refused to stand on the yeah. issue. And um, friends who were really upset with me for including the voices of police officers and both sides, if you will, at the risk of turning it into two sides, there's, there's way more sides than two. Yeah. Um, the sides were all frustrated with us for the same reason. Um, they were like people with who, who resort to violence, their voices should not be heard. Um, so, you know, well, what do you, what do you do? So that's a radical stance to just not, align yourself with, with something, but to actually just give a report and be like, this is what they said. This is what they said. I trust you as an audience, make up your own mind. See, you know? that's what's strange. So like, you know, trusting that you guys were informed with journalistic integrity that you were like, okay, I'm going to present this stuff in a yeah. sort of balance of matter that that was caustic. That is the story. That to me is interesting because it shows how let's say that's as near to the truth as maybe you could have got from a two week trip down to chopper Chaz, right? Perhaps. I mean, we maybe. all, I just, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here and be like, um, you are also taking it on the word of Gavin and myself. Um, so the way Gavin writes, uh, journalism and <laughs> he'd right. agree with this is to erase himself from the article. So he's saying this happened, that happened, this person said the way I 
do storytelling and an art is to say, I went to this place. I heard them say this. And, and yeah. like, I'm a character in it to some degree. Like, you know, right. that this is my perception on things. And we've talked about this and I'm like, to me, this is how I have journalism ethics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we've allowed this. We've been like, okay, this is, this is an art project. Yeah. I'm allowed to do this. But like, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, when he pitches it to, uh, news networks, you know, we use a different format, but for, for the artwork, um, I want people to be aware that I am a subjective person. I have my own view of reality. I have a framework that I'm coming from and seeing events. And, um, you know, uh, people have appreciated my storytelling, I guess, who know me. Right. And, and that's, that's interesting. You know, um, there, there is a, there is a view of, um, you know, we, we aren't biased, um, but you know, I wouldn't, that is not to say all independent journalists, including us have no motive. I mean, right. could be motivated by, uh, wanting to do something meaningful in the world, something that we think is worthwhile. Some like, uh, we could be motivated by riches, pardon? Yeah. Riches. <laughs> Riches, absolutely. We have made no money, right? <laughs> no money. <laughs> no, we flew there on our own time and dime. But um, yeah, you know, um, people who do this full time, you know, there is a there's a supportive network well, of people who empower their journalism. So I mean, it's it's tricky. It's like, where's the money coming from? Well, know. it's interesting that it seems like. Well, it definitely makes you think about truth, like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to ask you, I have my own thoughts and I, I'll probably air them because I can't stop myself from talking sometimes, but I want to know, like, what's your perspective on truth? Mm. Do you kind of subscribe to like, there is an absolute reality that's happening or that truth is in the eye of the beholder more that there is relative, there's relative truth. You know, my truth is for me and your truth is for you. Mm. I wonder what your thoughts might be on that. Oh man. Wow. Is that a big one? Into the fathers of existentialism here. <laughs> um, well, apparently, you know, Nietzsche told us that there's no more shared reality. So we're all, hmm. you know, trapped in our prisms. So I guess it must be true. Uh, no, I, I do believe there is, I do believe there is an ultimate reality on a few things. Right. Right. For example, did George Floyd die? Yes, yes, he did. You know, that was one thing that everybody at CHOP agreed on. No matter, no matter who it was. And they all thought it was tragic. That was another shared reality. So I think, I think there are, I think there are things that, um, uh, yeah, ultimately happened or did not happen. There are things that are ultimately true or not true. Um, subject, subjective truth. That's interesting because I also believe to some degree in some subjective truth. Um, you know, uh, there's sort of this <laughs> this approach of Darwinian pragmatism. It's like if something is true enough for you, it's true. You know, like um, <laughs> a way to a way to function. Uh, that's uh, you know, a way to move from, from where you are right now to your goal. And it might not be how someone else moves, right? For example, I'm an artist. This is not going to work for a lot of people. This is true for me to do. Right. Right. So 
the answer to the question, how does Nicole make money? The answer is <laughs> absolutely art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not someone else's answer. So, I mean, I, I hold belief in both, both, uh, subjective and absolute reality at the same time. And to me, it, it, it makes sense to hmm. some degree. That is, that is interesting. I guess it comes down to how you define truth in part, right? Yes. Like, I think for me, I think that there's always, it's what is the camera catch versus what is my camera catch? Like, what do my eyeballs see? Mm -hmm. What is your perspective on it? We all have very different perspectives often on reality, but I, I believe fundamentally there is a reality that we're commenting on, right? I think yep. that, that's what makes sense to me because... But where where things can be subjective certainly are, you know, in the interpretation mm. of, let's say, meaning, right? Mm. Like, if we're looking at your artwork, someone might look at it and be deeply moved and find it beautiful. And someone else with a different background or who's, who's really not, mm. let's say, yeah. interested in this sort of thing, they might be yeah. like, wow. You know, not it's my not thing. Not true that this is beautiful. This is not true. <laughs> but like, I think, I think ultimately, like, there has to be truth. I agree. In um, alignment with I, beauty and goodness. Yeah, I do. I do absolutely believe in that because um, we can see that people who don't necessarily believe in that, for example, um, a more postmodern approach to it, which is, you know, we all have our own ism, right? As yeah. Nietzsche predicted. Um, we all have our own uh, interpretation of reality and it's all valid and it's all okay. It's like, well, that's still a meta narrative, you know? So mm. it breaks down logically after a point uh, to throw out that there is any meta narrative is a meta -narrative. In itself an absolute statement. Right. And, and then we're all just, as Nietzsche said, we're children uh, calling out to each other in the dark uh, that, you know, we have our own grasp of truth and, um, <laughs> there's nothing like living a little life to kind of figure out that some things are more true than others. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting as artists, it's something I haven't really talked about on the podcast before is, you know, like our philosophy of how do we approach our artwork? Are we seeking to represent something true? Are we trying to connect to something mm -hmm. ultimately real? Like when you're, when you're making something and this, this is when I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull up some of your, Instagram work. Sure. Um, I'm going to screen share here. Uh, so if you're, you go back into the past, I'm like nervous now. <laughs> it's all good. Um, okay. So we're going to look at some of Nicole's art. So if you're listening to this, it's okay. We won't look at it for long, but just take my word for it that it's friggin' amazing. Um, but if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube uh, and you can see this too, Nicole, right? I can. Okay. So, Taking a look at one of your recent pieces here, what's going through your head when you're making this and knowing that this is probably not something that you saw occur in pixel by pixel reality, this is an artistic mm -hmm. representation of something. Like, what are you, what are you trying to get at when you make something like this? Are mm -hmm. you, are you looking like, just, just tell me about that process. Yeah. Um, 
This one was a commercial piece. So this ultimately had to fulfill um, some other people's uh, expectations as well as my own. This was a collaboration with a scientist, Eric Donovan. Uh, he's collaborated with NASA to do imaging of the night skies. And this was funded by the University of Calgary. It was part of the Chinook Blast um, Festival. So, you know, I'm keeping in mind kind of like, um, this needs to uh, work with the values and the beliefs of some of the people who are um, involved in it. Um, yeah. For me, uh, this was inspired by chats with Eric about his work and he described a time when uh, he first decided to study the Aurora Borealis. And it was, you know, the mo a most like ordinary human moment where he was sitting with his girlfriend by the side of a, of a lake in the dark and this, this uh, phenomena was crackling and sparkling above their heads and he just fell in love with, with the Aurora. So um, I, with this piece, wanted to capture this fascination with natural beauty all around us. And um, you can kind of see that in the, in the camera lens there, there's yeah. some of our mountains, there's some trees. The camper van is a little nod to <laughs> that desire I have to be even more nomadic. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of hanging out there. And uh, the, the star pattern in the background is the actual star map from um, the year when Eric and uh, his team of photographers... Wow. Uh, discovered a phenomena called Steve that is a uniquely Albertan discovery. Um, this weird, super fast string of uh, particles. Okay, this is where we get to science stuff, and I like I'm an artist. Yeah, anyway, it's sciencey stuff. Sciencey <laughs> yeah, stuff. They discovered some sciencey stuff, and it's really cool. It's called Steve, and um, yeah, uh, it's kind of a celebration of of them and their discovery. So we'll yeah. see. And then I want, okay, it's, it's just interesting to hear you talk about your process. I'm going to stop sharing for a second. No, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this. But first, I want to just scroll through a little bit here before yeah. I show your face again. Um, so this is you, like, you say you're an illustrator, but these don't look like drawings, honey. Like, these are something else. No, this, that was sort of like a, <laughs> uh, that was a, like, low-key performance piece I <laughs> sewed this uh coronavirus like a pillow and i thought it would be oh, yeah. funny to like give it away in um just you know to spread corona around and <laughs> oh, that's great I, honestly i just you know i i think humor is really important <laughs> for um you know keep staying sane you know uh can we laugh about the absurdity of you yes. know having large <laughs> in the shape of a virus that um we could punch <laughs> yes. if we wanted to um so that's what that was about the, no this, this is portrait sorry? work this is portrait work right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yep, this is again commercial art so that was uh hired portrait art for uh detox it's a local um talking convention speaking convention um it's awesome. Design talks. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, you're up here making murals and like, there's Mm -hmm. so many different things that I basically recommend everyone just go check out your Instagram and follow you. And we're going to, we're going to recommend that again. Um, Nicole Wolf design at the end of the podcast here, but I'm going to stop sharing. I'm going to get back to making sure everything is working the way it's supposed to. Okay. So that Aurora Borealis, um, which is beautiful by the way, like what a, what a great piece of art. When you see something like that, and I, I assume you take pride in it. Like you're you're mm-hmm. you're happy with what you made. Definitely. Does that? Are you like connecting to something true when you're doing that? Do you feel like this is connecting to some reality when you mm. look at it? Do you see some reality in it that you couldn't maybe see in the same way without this representation? I like how you're framing that. I mean, you're touching on a deeper desire that I have to be able to. Um, okay, I'm going to use really narrative, a really narrative way of describing this, Go but like it. going to another dimension with like a Ziploc bag <laughs> and foraging for cool stuff there and bringing it back to this reality and giving it to people to help them understand um, that other dimension more. And, and like, I don't know, this, I feel like this duality between matter and the unseen. And I feel like my job as an artist is to go there and make things seen here. And um, this this is like a really like wibbly wobbly way to talk about it, but uh, that's that's like what I wanna do with my free time. That's the stuff I don't do for money (laughs) or when when the people who are paying me money, let me do it. Uh, That is, yeah, I absolutely wanna connect with a higher reality and uh, create from the soul and not just, you know, that's the amazing. Eye. Cause Absolutely. that's, that's how we're the same. We're totally different in, yeah. in discipline, right? Like I'm not a visual artist. I make my own cover art and stuff for stuff, but it's, it's not great. Yeah. I do my own stuff, but you're like a, a I would say a, a mighty visual artist, someone who's doing a, a great job and very diverse in what they're doing. Hmm. And me, I'm a musical artist and I have some skill and talent in this area but I'm doing the same thing. Like what I'm basically trying to do is access this dimension for like lack of a better language. The way it that, feels like a dimension. Yeah. I'm, I'm no. basically like looking for, I'm seeking beauty. I'm trying like, I, I kind of like the tri- the Trinity of what is good, true and beautiful. These are mm. something that I've really become fascinated with lately and I find that my access to those things tends to be through beauty. Like when mm-hmm. I watch a great movie, like Unbreakable, which I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it's a, it's a movie by M. Night Shyamalan, and I, I love it. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And there's, there's such a powerful story in it that when you kind of see the character do something really great... Um, it touches me like in this really strange way. Like it makes it it me access this other dimension where I really feel like I'm seeing it as it is. I'm seeing the character. I'm seeing the the reality of the situation. Like he's a good man. He's a protector. And that art and music and, and all sorts of forms of art, it's it's a way that I can actually see things as they are because you know, you ever like go to a wedding and there's like the father-daughter dance or something like that. And 
if there was no music and they were just like hugging each other and like walking around, it'd be kind of awkward and weird. But because there's music and because there's listening, uh, the words, it's like it taps into the actual reality that is Mm. happening. And the tears come and people can't stop with the tears because what's real is beautiful. What's real is amazing. And um, I'm so glad we're talking about this. I'm like so excited. Uh, Who is it like C.S. Lewis who said that uh, fiction is sometimes truer than truth Mm. or like actual. um, That sounds like something he'd say. That sounds actually like G.K. Chesterton. Oh, maybe that is what? who it sounds like. Yeah, who you say that fiction is truer than. Okay, well, yeah. they're both dead, so they can't <laughs> deep that for me. But, um, <laughs> well, okay, I'm so glad we're talking about this because um, this was legit what I was talking to uh, my friend. He's studying his Master's of Divinity right now. Mm. And, and I posited the question, why do you think Christ uses um, parable? And, and we kind of like... Uh, sorted through this like it's to use symbols to not say things literally to use um images and metaphor uh to use um archetype right uh this does not make a quick understanding or at least a quick cerebral understanding very easy um and uh we we basically arrive to the conclusion that we think uh, Christ probably taught like that because um, I think these are not my words, but um, to have the truth available to those who wanted to uh, dig for it. Basically, he right. hid it from anyone who was not hungry enough to find it, and and yet it was simple enough for a child to understand. So it spoke to something definitely very deep and primal inside of the person's listening, uh, Mm. during that account. So, um, anyway, we know that like there are symbols arcing through many religions and many cultures that are repeated. Right. And so there's like something about these things that, that like speak true to all of us, you know, in many, many ways. And so, um, now we are, (laughs) we're like these little, creative people and we have access to these like crazy symbols and these things that we know that are deeply true. Right. Right. Um, and, and we could do with them what we want. And, uh, I don't know. That's what, that's what it inspires me. So, yeah. Well, there's a reason that Jordan Peterson talks about Christ so much as like the ideal human and story is truer than reality because we can all access the story and interpret it into our realities too. So, yeah. 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 Um, story is very powerful. It goes beyond facts and it tells you how you ought to be or the nature of reality as well. You know, it gets, it gets in you. It, it's, it's taking facts and making it meaningful. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this feels like a kind of nice way to end it. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. There's lots yeah, of, I mean, I could talk about this all night, but <laughs> well, we probably will. Cause what happens sometimes is I'm like, okay, great podcast. And then yeah. I end it. And then like, I talk I to the guests. For... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. Yes. So, um, I will say though, before, before I close the curtain, so to speak, yeah. um, what might you have to offer? Like, what else can you say that's on your mind about 
keeping sane, being a creative mm-hmm. person, just to kind of tie it back to the theme of the podcast. Like even like it could be practical, sort of this is what I've done. You know, I use this particular lavender soap and it got me through everything. Or it could be, you know, something more existential, which is the territory we did navigate into. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we did get pretty abstract there. Um, I love it. Uh, well, there are little things. Um, when I was younger, I used to, if I had a problem, or an emotional crisis, I used to like sit there and try to like work it out right there. And I'm like, I'm not getting up from this chair until I, you know, have uh, healed whatever is going wrong in my head until I see things correctly until I've worked out my issue. Um, yeah, I don't do that anymore. No, (laughs) Um, I have listened to enough psychology podcasts. Great thing to do when you're painting. Um, to know that when you're freaking out physiologically, when you, when you have an elevated heart rate, you feel emotional, um, go take care of your animal half, you know, go take care of that lizard brain, go take care of your amygdala, like go have a snack, go take a nap, go for a jog. You know, like if, if you're like emotionally distressed, Hmm. um, sometimes it's just not time to play chess with the devil. Sometimes you need to go take care of your body a little bit and like soothe yourself. Um, yeah, recently jogging or some form of exercise has been, uh, you know, a staple for me. (laughs) Exercise was not really prioritized growing up. Uh, artists are not really classified as people who take care of themselves or exercise, but you know what? Um, I don't know. I don't want to burn out when I'm 35, you know, uh, or 30 (laughs) could happen. (laughs) You know, we, uh, if you, if you really want to be in this for the long haul, you got to take care of yourself. Um, and also, uh, don't solve the world world's problems on an empty stomach or when you're underslept or when you just haven't jogged for like three days, (laughs) Uh, you know, go see the sun, feel the wind on your face. That's the thing. Um, that's one way I stay sane. Another thing is, uh, doing very normal things. We touched on this at the beginning, but um, just because I'm an artist doesn't mean that, you know, I have to be living out of a camper van 12 months of a year and living over a fire. Like, you know, their convention is there for a reason. Um, You know, you mentioned Jordan Peterson, one Petersonism that I have (laughs) held on to, uh, he gave advice specifically to artists once. And he was like, if you're going to be totally unconventional in your art, be as conventional as possible in your personal life. And that kind of like stuck with me. And I, like, I knew the point of it. He's not the only person to say that. Um, you know, if you have a very creative personality, save all that chaos for the canvas, you know, right. I like that. <laughs> don't let it take you apart. Um, you know, have some routines, um, you know, figure out what makes you feel good. I know that I really like to work all day and then socialize all evening. And if I don't do that, I feel really depressed. Like if I don't get on my house once a day, I feel like garbage. Um, I also have found out that I am a verbal processor. So <gasps> me too. Um, oh, what? No way. What? <laughs> oh gosh. What are you doing after this? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like if, if something's bugging me, I go find someone and I talk to them about it. And, um, you know, if I don't have a person, I talk to my cat, Fat Charlie. And 
I, fat Charlie is your cat's fat name. Charlie is my cat's name. He was fat when I got him. He's fatter now. And he's a terrible conversationalist, but a great w- listener. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I like just, I talk it out loud and like it gets it out of nebulous goo and turns it into a thing that I can quantify and look at and be like, this is a thing. I have a narrative to it. I've attached a narrative. Yeah. Uh, now I can see if the story is useful or true. Um, I can test it. It's something to work with. So um, articulating the chaos is something that I like to do. I journal quite a lot. Yeah, it's I, writing it out, right? That's great. Yep, absolutely. Um, I am a deeply spiritual person. Uh, one thing that I do that actually a lot of other people I found out do do as well is um, to write your questions on one side of like a blank sheet of paper and then listen for the answer, an answer, and you write it on the other side and you have like this dialogue happening. Interesting. Uh, I call, I call that voice God or (laughs) some people would call that reality. Um, you know, uh, maybe conscience is a good middle ground there. You can call it that. I mean, the voice, the conscience is the voice of God, right? Because, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, uh, yeah okay yeah it sure. is there's there's uh, yeah. actually yeah okay that makes sense conscience is the voice of god and why i can say that is because um in no huh. human society anywhere is conscience ever permitted viewed as a good thing to disobey everyone will no hmm. no one thinks it's good to disobey your conscience hmm. now if you happen to disobey your conscience because you were informed poorly you thought it was a good thing to kill people, let's say, and you mm. disobeyed your conscience, then people are going to give you, they're going to reinform your conscience and say, no, buddy, you were right. You made the right choice, but they're not, they're clarifying your conscience. So really, why does everybody have a conscience? It's actually, there's mm. actually an argument for the case of uh, ultimate morality is because it's like, why do you even have arguments about it? Why, why would you try to convince one person that, there's something they're doing wrong or right if it's mm-hmm. not useful. But that's, that's a total. That actually makes so much sense. And it also like explains why the cricket in Pinocchio is called Jiminy Cricket. Exactly. Which is like slang for Jesus Christ. So yeah. there's a the voice of conscience. That makes sense. It's your um, filter. It's your filter through however you huh. understand the right thing to do. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants like a really spooky night at home, go get yourself a blank piece of paper and watch <laughs> The Voldemort journal happened. <laughs> amazing. That's great. Um, yeah. Make sure you talk to your conscience. Talk to your conscience. And I will leave it at that. I think that would be, that'd be my closing remark. Love it. Well, this was great. And so thank you for coming on the podcast. This was a really Thanks good conversation. I, I really enjoyed getting in some deep territory. Um, and you were just the perfect person to do that with. Oh. Where should people go to follow you, connect with you on social media? Um, what do they okay. do? Um, if you would like to follow me on Instagram, it is at Nicole Wolf Design. So N I C O L E W O L F, just like the animal, and then design. And then my website is the same name, NicoleWolfDesign.com. And if you want to shoot me an email, you can email art.nicolewolf at gmail.com. And uh, we can chat. About yeah. drawing your pet cat. <laughs> the right price, I will draw your cat. So Absolutely. Yeah. 
Great. Okay. Well, this is great. I'm now going to cut the episode right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T dot com. Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and sane.